This is Need to Know. Real talk about the reality of unidentified aerial phenomena. From Australia, Ross Coltart. From the US, Bryce Zabel. G'day and welcome to the show. And I hope it's a good one this week. In a variety of ways, we're going to be asking why some big stories on the subject of UAPs, unidentified aerial phenomena, don't get the coverage they deserve in the established media. Right now, though, let me welcome my colleague across the ditch in LA, Bryce Zabel. G'day, Bryce. Good day. Hello, Roscoe. Can I call you Roscoe? That's okay, right? You can. Yeah. Well, it's been hot and super windy out here in Los Angeles, to tell you the truth. And that has everyone's attention out here because this week they released a report uh, about our so-called mega drought that we're having, which was pretty shocking. We've broken another record. It turns out that the last 22 years here in Los Angeles now rank as the driest years since, I hope you're ready for this, the driest years in 1,200 years since 800 AD. And if you need a reference on that, for those of you that actually paid attention in history class, Charlemagne was getting a crown on his head the last time it was this dry and hot out here in SoCal. Anyway, Ross, uh, I woke up today to the news that uh, the beaches out near where you are are getting shut down over a, a fatal shark attack. What do you know about that? Oh, it's a shocker. I've actually swum off that very point where that poor fella, Simon Nellist, who's the first fatal shark attack in Sydney in 60 years. I've swum. I'm a very keen diver myself. I free dive and uh, snorkel and spearfish. And uh, that particular point off Little Bay in the eastern suburbs of Sydney is one of the most beautiful diving spots. It's such a tragedy. And the thing I always get frightened of is all my American friends immediately think that Australia, everything kills you. You know, it's so dangerous here, don't come. It's actually not as dangerous as people think. And I've swum in the water many, many times and I've seen sharks, including once a great white shark in the water. And I did get out very quickly, but more often than not, they leave you alone. Yeah, I feel like I'm doing a podcast with Ernest Hemingway or something sometimes. I mean, <laughs> that's that's fantastic. I know that when my family was in Australia in December of 2019, we spent most of our time with family members reading the internet about uh, the prevalence of sharks at various beaches we were going to try to swim at. But uh, it all turned out okay. But, you know, the whole shark story does strike pretty close to home because like Australia, out here in California, we have uh, plenty of coastal area and we also have sharks. And we actually ended uh, last year, 2021, with a fatal shark attack of our own up near Morro Bay, uh, where um, a surfer died uh, on Christmas Eve, very tragically. So, you know, it's uh, it's life can be dangerous, uh, but I, I'm sure Australia isn't that much more dangerous than anywhere else. And we have our own problems here. You know, what's interesting to me, though, about these attacks are overall, they're just extremely rare. I mean, that's the one thing you understand from any of the news coverage. They just don't happen very often. When they do happen, you know, it's shocking to people. But what I thought was interesting is they do generate maximum news coverage because I literally woke up today, uh, checked my phone, and a Sydney shark attack was the top of my news for the day. Uh, sort of alerting me to this. Uh, news people like to cover these kind of things, of course, but it did make me wonder, you know, uh, what's going on with all this uh, news coverage? We'll cover shark attacks, but we won't cover UAP and UFOs quite the way uh, that we should, even though they seem much more prevalent than shark attacks. What's up with that? Um 
I, I think it's starting to change, Bryce. And it's it's interesting because there's a TV network that um, I used to work for called Channel 9 here that did a story on UAPs this week. They they, they had Ryan Graves on and Avi Loeb, Professor Avi Loeb. So I think there is the beginning of a change. But let's just get into the meat of what we want to talk about sure. this week. Is the, the issues behind the UAP mystery that are not getting the attention they deserve. And I think one of the big ones is why is the Navy taking the lead on the most recent Pentagon disclosures? Where's the Air Force in all of this? And I, you and I were talking about this a week or so ago, and then Chris Mellon came out with an absolute zinger of an article, the former uh, Assistant Deputy uh, Secretary of Defence for Intelligence, Chris Mellon, did a, an article in the debrief uh, on the 3rd of February, why is the Air Force AWOL, absent without leave, on the UAP issue? And boy, it was a real spit in the eye to the Pentagon, Susan Goff's assertions that all the military departments take any incursion by any unauthorized aircraft very seriously. Mellon gave them what we would call here a complete bollocking. <laughs> he sure did. It was a, a real serious takedown, and uh, it was extensive. It just went on and on, in particular, about the assets that the uh, U.S. Air Force actually has at its disposal if it wants to see things in our atmosphere. And they have significant resources, as you would imagine they would have, given that they've gotten billions of dollars uh, over a sustained period of time to build all these systems. So they have more eyes on the sky than even the U.S. Navy does, I'm quite sure. And yet they talk about it less. And what's interesting to me is that um, uh, there's a historical piece of this whole puzzle, which is at the beginning in 1947, when the, we had that famous summer of saucers that we talked about a couple episodes ago, uh, there wasn't even an Air Force. There was an Army Air Force, and then they created an Air Force in 1947. And the whole flying saucer thing kind of got dumped on the Air Force's front steps, and they did a lot of reports about it, mostly to themselves. And then they went public with Project Blue Book. So they had the, even though they weren't being transparent as they probably should have been, they were at least perceived by the public as the people in charge of things. And now, uh, since 2017, since those three Navy videos came out uh, through the New York Times reporting, it's all Navy all the time. And, and it is curious. But let's be clear about this, Bryce, for our audience. The, the U.S. Air Force is being accused by Mellon, who's a former very senior official of the Department of Defense. It's essentially accused of being obstructive to investigations into the UAP issue. He's, he's basically suggesting that they're not responding, that they're falsely asserting that there is no data. And uh, basically, he's put the challenge to them. He said, you know, are we really meant to believe the U.S. Air Force didn't detect any UAP from 2004 until 2021, when the U.S. Navy reported 144 incidents, of which 143 could not be explained? Okay. And, and I think you're right. His point is that there are the U.S. Air Force, more than any other arm of the military, has got technology that allows it to see things that, frankly, would detect anomalous objects in either space or the atmosphere or indeed underwater. There's the solid state phased array radar system, the space fence, there's some sort of global infrasound acoustic monitoring. And um, it's, it's amazing because officially the US Air Force never talks about this stuff. It doesn't fess up. And yet, as you and I both know, history shows that the 
the U.S. Army Air Force before it became the U.S. Air Force. And in the very early days of the U.S. Air Force, in the late 40s and the early 50s, there was a willingness by both services, the U.S. Air Force and the U.S. Navy, to actually engage on this issue. But something happened. And I wonder if there was a deliberate decision by the U.S. Air Force to shut down public awareness on this issue by essentially just stopping talking about it. And did it have something to do with the Washington flyover and other incidents, such as the one that one of the ones that Mellon talked about, which is um, NORAD radars picking up objects streaming across continental USA? I I wonder whether the US Air Force is actually being deliberately obstructive, which is one hell of an allegation. But I do think there's some substance to it. Well, there is substance to it. We could, uh, we will probably jump back to that historical uh, issue and that, that the historical record of the Air Force. But let me just underline for our listeners and viewers uh, what what we're talking about. Remember, in 2021, uh, the Office of the Director of National Intelligence had to put out a report to Congress, and it was released on June 25th of 2021. And as uh, you just mentioned, Ross, uh, there were 144 cases. They were directed to look into cases between 2004 and 2021, and they reported back on 144, of which 143, uh, fantastically, were unexplained and and were uh, were considered legitimate cases. But what you get out of uh, Chris Mellon's article in the debrief is that those 143 cases, in his words, I believe, either all came from the U.S. Navy or almost all of them came from the U.S. Navy, which is outrageous. Obviously, the Air Force has a global grasp on this issue, just as the U.S. Navy. I mean, granted, the Navy is out sailing the seven seas, if you will, but the Air Force has a a stamp on the whole globe in this regard. And for them to say, gosh, we really didn't find anything that we should have turned in is what's got the gall uh, uh, of of a lot of people and and including Christopher Mellon, but it's not just Mellon, by the way. It's also he's he's sort of channeling, I think, the frustration of certain key members of our Congress, which we're going to get to later in this episode, who are frustrated with it. Now, just to the point of the history, though, uh, it it does look like immediately after 1947, whether again there was a crash at Roswell or wasn't. There were certainly sightings all over the world and some really phenomenal ones in the U.S. going forward to 1952, the Washington overflights, many of these things we've covered in our previous episodes. And the Air Force did have a public-facing front on this thing. So, for example, after the 1952 uh, overflights of Washington, D.C., it was an Air Force general that had to go out and meet the press. And by the way, the press conference post that 1952 overflight was the largest press conference ever uh, seen in Washington, D.C. since World War II. It was of that uh, of that ilk. Now, what was the consequence? It was coming up with Project Blue Book, which many people believe had a public face to try to divert the public's interest uh, in this new topic of UFOs. But they continued to investigate and, and re- report to themselves on some of the more serious cases. So it is kind of a mixed bag. I think we can say, and tell me if you disagree, Bryce, with some confidence that, that all of these investigations from grudge right through to Project Blue Book by the Air Force 
were cover-ups. They, they, they basically had the the uh, in, the uh, implicit edict from up high. You're not going to find anything that gets the public too too upset and too excited. Um, and I think the best evidence of that is the the findings of the Robertson panel, which was essentially the precursor to Blue Book, where essentially it was made very very clear that the policy of the uh, investigations into UAPs should be to ridicule and and shut down public commentary on the on the phenomenon. And uh, right through to Condon, I remember there was a, a scientist who was attached to the Condon inquiry, and he was caught out inadvertently admitting just at the very beginning of the Condon inquiry, two years before it handed in its report, that the whole thing was going to be a whitewash, that the purpose of um, Condon was to basically um, uh, shut down the um, uh, the public awareness and public coverage of the issue. So the, the, the question in my mind, though, Bryce, is, is the explanation that the US Air Force is presiding over some dark cover-up? Have they got a flying saucer hidden in a cave somewhere? Hmm. Or could it be as simple as, and I always work on the assumption that the simplest explanation is always the best, could it be as simple as the US Air Force doesn't like admitting that it has no bloody idea what's going on exactly. and that it's it's frankly it's 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 embarrassed to admit that it can't ensure the security of the United States' airspace. Well, I wouldn't want to hold a news conference with those with that as my content for sure. I just want to put one fine point. There was a change in Air Force behavior historically. Uh, the it is tr what you're saying about the uh, Condon report uh, of course is true and um, but but initially after the early days of the saucers, if you will, we had a project grudge that became a project sign, which became a project blue book. Those were not until we got to blue book were not for the public grudge and sign were not meant to be published to anybody. They were internal documents that the air force was putting out, trying to figure out to themselves what was going on. It included the famous twining memo and, and um, where he said it's not visionary or fictitious, but these were circulated inside the Pentagon, inside the Air Force offices. And it was only when the uh, Freedom of Information Act really got uncorked in the 70s that, that uh, researchers got their hands on a lot of those documents. And I, I think in particular, one that is quite uh, interesting is before Blue Book, uh, there was a... Uh, there, we can't prove it beyond a shadow of a doubt, but there was an estimate of the situation prepared where the majority of the people did believe that it was an extraterrestrial issue. And when it finally got up to the top guy who had to look at this thing and say, I'm not passing this on. And it got, uh, many people were let go and new teams were brought in and they came up with a different uh, position on it. So I, I think that the air force has been as you, you know, if you, to follow your logic, they've been on a highway, if you will, where they have been thinking to themselves, how are we going to deal with it? And I don't think they were totally prepared. If you, it, it doesn't look like for the 2017 glass notes that we're starting to have the transparency issues that are happening. And I believe uh, they're going to have to be pulled kicking and screaming into our present day. Just coming back to the FOI for a moment, another thing about the FOI that I find interesting is as a result, largely of declassification provoked by President Clinton and Obama, there are files now on the record showing the US Air Force was involved in retrievals for a project called moon dust and i think this is important because there was a unit that the u.s air command created in 1953 called the 4602nd air intelligence service squadron 
And they were essentially a covert unit to collect UFOs from the field. I mean, it's amazing. Howard Bloom, who was a respected New York right. Times reporter, wrote a great book called Out There, where he basically said that the um, the uh, moon dust people included craft, retrievals of craft of extraterrestrial origin. So I do think there's a degree of disingenuousness from the US Air Force, and I do think they're hiding something. Well, we're going to certainly uh, be talking a lot more about moon dust and all that in our third segment here today, because we're going to be talking about crash retrievals and whether that's a thing or not. But to sort of put a pin on our Air Force Navy thing, uh, we do seem to have an intra-service rivalry. We're not clear on why exactly it's happening, but the two services, the two service branches do seem to be looking at this issue of UFO UAP differently. And uh, obviously the people uh, in the uh, in the Senate and the House uh, who have demanded uh, new reports from the Office of the Director of National Intelligence have basically run out of patience with complete stonewalling. Now, I don't know who wins that fight. Do you do you think that fight will be resolved in in 2022? Are we going to there is going to be a new report issued on October 31st of 2022? Do you think the Air Force will be present or will they also be MIA? Well, they're legally obliged to be present, Bryce. So it'll be very interesting to see whether the officials who preside over your Air Force will be honest with the Congress, which after all is your government by the people for the people. So it's going to be very, very interesting to see whether the requirements imposed in the NDAA, the legislation for the defence authorization, will actually follow through. Um, I think we've come to the end we of sure this have, segment. Uh, yeah, I mean, coming up, we're going to take stock of the the who and the what of this whole thing. If the Pentagon folks, or at least the Air Force, is playing whack-a-mole with this whole shut the story down. Really, what's what's going on with this conga line of officials that we've got in Washington, D.C., who have been admitting that it needs to be taken seriously? I mean, what's going on? Need to Know continues in a moment. This week, we're talking about all those UAP stories that really don't seem to be getting the coverage they might actually deserve. Over the past few years, and, and particularly over the last year, we've heard more high officials, and I mean very high officials, saying more unheard of things about the UFO and the UAP issue. But when you just hear one comment at a, at a time, kind of that drip, 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 you kind of hear it, you're shocked, and you move on. But then when you look at them all at the same time, pretty shocking, pretty amazing. And if you do, if you put them all together, Bryce, it's quite extraordinary. It really does make a point. The sheer number of high-level people, former CIA directors, the directors of national intelligence for the United States, senators, congresswomen and women, it's amazing. You've just got to realise it's, it's um, not just the US Air Force that's been missing in action recently. It's the entire national media establishment that have failed to pick up on the fact that there are now people of prominence, people of good reputation in official levels in the US government who are making extraordinary admissions about extraordinary things. Yeah, you know, it's 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 very interesting to me because I take your point. There is more coverage and it's less goofy about the UFO issue than than ever before, but it still tends to be about the uh you do the quick hit and then you kind of move on. I think the June 25th report from last year was a great example. It did get covered 
uh, people because it was a short document. It wasn't like the Kennedy assassination files that took six weeks to go through. It was a little nine page report and they could read it and they wrote a, wrote a story and then that was it. Um, but, you know, for this segment, you and I have been pulling quotes from some of these people. I don't even know where to start, Ross, to be honest with you. I mean, this is like an abundance of riches. These are quotes that we're going to sort of pull out uh, in the next few minutes, folks, to sort of just show you that it, it's been just a cacophony of people saying, let's do something about this. And I have an open mind to what they might be. Um you know, it's uh, it you. I'll, in fact, I'll throw it to you, Ross. Do you have a favorite one you want to start with? Because I got one. Pulled. Yeah, there is. I, I really, I, I enjoyed, and I thought he was great theatre when he said it too. John Ratcliffe, who was Trump's uh, director of national intelligence, he went on national television in the U.S. and he basically said there are a lot more sightings than have been made public. We're talking about objects that, frankly, engage in actions that are different, difficult to explain. And then rolling down later in, in the quote that he gave, sometimes we wonder whether our adversaries have technologies that are a little bit further down the road than we realized. It's not just a pilot or a satellite or some intelligence collection. Usually we have multiple sensors that are picking up these things. He's hinted very, very clearly that there's something real going on and he's seen it, he's been briefed about it, he can't talk about it in detail, but he, uh, as he's indicated on numerous interviews, if people saw these videos that he's seen and heard the detail and the briefings he's had, they would be amazed. Now, frankly, that's that's a form of DNI. That's your intelligence czar in the United States, frankly admitting that there's something here uh, that, that is difficult to explain. And it's a little bit of bipartisanship because that was Trump's guy. He came in at the end of Trump's uh, term and he was willing to be uh, upfront about it. Now, Biden's guy guy is actually a woman. It's uh, Avril Haines. And she is the she had the same job as Ratcliffe. And she was uh, uh, on a public forum in Washington, D.C. a few months ago. And she didn't say anything quite as extreme as him, but she took it to one place that was extreme. She said, the main issues that Congress and others have been concerned about is safety of flight concerns and counterintelligence issues. All right, we can buy that. Then she said, always there's the question of, is there something else that we simply do not understand, excuse me, which we do not understand, which might come extraterrestrially? Whoa. Okay. Which is amazing. Isn't it incredible to hear a director of national intelligence using the ET word? I was I was shocked. Now, I got to tell you, I want to put my favorite quote out there because I, I just, it, this one, I, I remember seeing it. Uh, I don't think I saw it live, but I think I saw a YouTube clip of it the next day. And I was just like, what? What are we doing? This is former CIA director, John Brennan. All right. So let's, let's get everybody's head in this. This is a man that ran the CIA. He knows stuff. He's seen reports and he's as connected as anybody could be. Here's what he said in a public forum. He said, I've seen some of those videos from Navy pilots, and I must tell you that they are quite eyebrow raising. Life is defined in many different ways. I think it's a bit presumptuous and arrogant for us to believe that there's no other form of life anywhere in the entire universe. I think some of the phenomena we're going to be seeing is the result of something that we don't yet understand, and that could involve some type of activity that some might say constitutes a different form of life. Oh, whoa, come by me again, uh, Mr. Director. 
a different form of life. How okay? Yeah. yeah, you know the thing is, okay, I know that you know there's some differences between us and the Russians and the Chinese, but I don't consider them a different form of life. And let's face it, if you're a CIA director, you pick your words pretty carefully, right? So he must have known what he was saying. There's another one that's one of my favorites, and it was just recently uh, Jim Simovan, who's a former senior CIA official from the uh, Directorate of uh, Clandestine Operations for the CIA, like Superspook. He went on Coast to Coast and basically talked about an incident that happened to him and his wife in their bedroom, where he says they were essentially physically assaulted in some way that he's not specific about by some kind of non-human entity. He said, I generally don't like to discuss it. There are a couple of reasons for it. One of them is that my wife and I are still being studied and looked at. It was an experience that happened to us while we were in our bedroom, the middle of the night, beings showed up. It was upsetting. Now, I, I don't know anything about what happened to Jim. Yeah. But the fact that somebody who has been a keeper, a custodian of some of the most intimate secrets inside the CIA, you know, a guy who's essentially presided over some of the most sensitive espionage operations in the United States is claiming publicly that he's had experiences with alien entities in his bedroom. I don't think we should dismiss that out of hand. I don't think so. And and, and, we know it's being investigated. It is being investigated because the CIA has admitted it. Ross, you and I have worked in a number of different newsrooms over the years. And, uh, you know, the things that get the attention of the assignment desk and get reporters like us sent out on things don't always rise to that level of craziness, right? They're, you know, I've done my share of cat shows and things like that. So I just find it odd that there wasn't an assignment desk anywhere that's read that and went, holy God, let's get somebody over to that guy's house and talk to him about it. I have one more that kind of fits in that category of where you just say, what is going on that nobody thinks that this should be talked about? I want to finish up with the CIA directors because I think is you know it's one thing to work for the CIA, but it's entirely different if you just run the CIA. The very first director of the CIA, going back to the beginning, was a guy named Roscoe Hillencotter, who was a uh, an admiral, and he said it is time for the truth to be brought out behind the scenes. High-ranking Air Force officers are soberly concerned about UFOs. But through official secrecy and ridicule, many citizens are led to believe that unknown flying objects are nonsense. Okay, that's the first CIA director. Now I want to read you one that fits in with your gem semi-van kind of uh, crazy talk. This is from a former CIA director, James Woolsey. All right. This is what he said, again, in public, knowing full well what he was saying was going to be quoted. He said, there was one case in which a friend of mine was able to have his aircraft stopped at 40,000 feet or so and not continue operating as a normal aircraft. What was going on? I don't know. Does anybody know? There have just been enough things like that that have occurred that I think that there will be a lot of examination of what's going on over the course of several months or several years I'm not as skeptical as I was a few years, to put it mildly, but something is going on that is surprising to a series of intelligent, experienced pilots. Okay, Uh, an aircraft stops at 40,000 feet, and that's not a news story coming from a CIA director? Tell me about it. 
It wouldn't be the first time a CIA director's gone bonkers, uh, Bryce, but the interesting thing is a lot of them are saying it because there's another one, uh, not a CIA director, but a former um, senior CIA analyst in the Directorate of Science and Technology in the CIA, a guy called John Ramirez. And John's been putting quite a high profile out in uh, ufology uh, commentary in the last few months. And I have to admit, I was cynical because it, it just sounded incredible, some of the things he was saying. And I was worried that a lot of what he was saying was just him reading a few UFO books in his retirement and shooting his mouth off about things that um, he was speculating on. But People I know have told me he was a reputable, respected member of the CIA, and that more importantly, in one recent interview he's done within the last week or so, John Ramirez actually said that he was told formally inside the CIA at a private closed-door briefing in a SCIF, a secure compartmentalized information facility, he was told that humans are essentially alien hybrids that that someone in the CIA knows about a hybridization program involving humans and aliens. Now, I'm not saying this, okay? I don't know the truth of it, but it's just incredible to me that a former senior person from within the CIA is making assertions like this, assertions which, interestingly enough, have been made by other people outside the CIA before and dismissed as lunatic tinfoil tin hat fringe stuff. What is going on when you've got a former CIA director talking about aliens in his bedroom and another former senior CIA analyst talking about being secretly briefed about an alien hybridization program? Well, you know, I when you I heard you reading that, and I was just thinking to myself, you know, I'm not saying it any more than you are, but if we did say it, if we were to like go on this podcast and say, yeah, you know, Ross, last night I was in my bedroom and my wife and I were terrified, when, you know, and we just threw that stuff out. I think a, a number of people who were trying to reach on this podcast by saying that we're trying to look at this from a sensible and sensitive and rational point of view would say, okay, I'm done with this podcast because that's these guys are obviously bought the whole ride and they're taking it. So I just think it seems reasonable that if guys are going to be saying things like that, it's worth looking into. This isn't, you know, your crazy neighbor down the, the street who said it at a barbecue. This is somebody who has been in a position of incredible responsibility and who has incredible training and background to have that particular job. And they're saying it. So I just wish our friends in the news media would get a little more, you know, activated by those kind of things and say, let's dig a little deeper because that's what the news media is supposed to do. Now, of course, if people aren't going to do that, then I guess my friend, you and I are going to have to do it. And it's not just inside intelligence services in the various arms of the military that these comments are coming from, Bryce. It's also from the Congress, from the senior congressmen yes. and senators who've basically had secret briefings on the phenomenon. And one of my favorites is the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, Congressman Andre Carson. And he said, if it is otherworldly, we have to take into account our advancements in terms of cell phone technology and why these images aren't being captured. We have to think about the 4,000 satellites that are orbiting the Earth right now. Most of these cameras have got cameras attached to them. Of the report, the UAP report, he says it's inconclusive. But what we do know is there have been nearly 150 sightings, 
80 of those sightings have been detected with some of the best technology the world has ever seen, and we can't rule out something that's otherworldly, which is quite an astonishing admission. From a from a sitting U.S. congressman, there's a slew of them uh, between the, the House of Representatives and the Senate where people who were sensible enough, I guess, to get elected uh, have, have said things like that. Uh, one of the, another, I'll match your congressman and, and raise you with Tim Burchett, uh, who is a uh, Republican congressman out of Tennessee. And he he literally has gone off on this one a few times. But one of his more direct quotes was, if the Russians had UFO technology, I mean, they would own us right now. They used to say that they've heard people talk about how the Nazis had it in the Second World War that they did. They would also have won. That is ridiculous. It has to be something that is out of our galaxy. It just has to be if it is, in fact, real. And yet, what does the report of June 25th say? It says it is real. So there's Burchett. There's also, uh, you know, Ruben Gallego, who's a, a Texas Democratic congressman who talked about it. And of course, let's not forget our friends over on the Senate. That would involve the two heads of the Senate Intelligence Committee who co-sponsored the bill last year that got us to where we're going to have these reports every year. That's Marco Rubio and uh, Kirsten Gillibrand, again, a Democratic New York senator and a Republican uh, a uh, senator from Florida, and they both have been very out front saying, look, this is a safety issue. It's a national security issue. I'm not happy with what I've been told, and I want to get to the bottom of it. I mean, if we were just going to be reading comments right, left, and center, uh, we could probably do an entire segment just, uh, you know, we should probably bring actors in to read these. It would be probably better than you and me. But another person who's been wildly out front is Senator Mitt Romney, who was the Republican nominee for president in 2012. And let me just see if I can find the one that I thought was so incredible from him. He, uh, you know what? I'm not. Uh, he just is the guy who's been willing to say E.T. out loud as well. He's not saying yeah, well, he, 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 categorically, he categorically ruled out that it comes from foreign adversaries, that whatever right. this is, it's Russian or Chinese. Right. He, he basically said if they were if they were Russian or Chinese, then that would suggest they've got a technology that is in a whole different sphere than anything we understand. And frankly, China and Russia just aren't there. And he said, neither are we, by the way. Now, that's a good segue for us yeah, because Mitt Romney said, neither are we. And he's one of those senators who's briefed in because of his membership of different committees. He's very likely had briefings, confidential briefings about the waived, unacknowledged special access programs within the US government that conceal secret defense and intelligence projects. Let's talk about, let's dare to raise the story that won't speak its name. It's so controversial, no one dare speak about it. But let's just talk about it for a moment, Bryce. Shall I say it? Say, say crash, it. Crash, crash retrievals. Well, now there you've gone and said it. It's like Voldemort. You've said it. <laughs> now what do we do? I'm, I'm not afraid of anything, my friend. But what I do think is that the bear in the room in this whole story is, has the US government contrary to the assertions that have been made by the White House and different officials, has it lied to the public? Has well, there in fact been crash retrievals? I can't let you be the only one that says it, so I'll say it. Crash retrievals. Stay with us. We're back in a moment because you 
need to know. A lot of people listening or watching today probably weren't even born in 1980. 1980 is important because that was the year where the Roswell crash, which uh, supposedly had happened in 1947, was first sort of brought again to the public's attention uh, when uh, Jesse Marcel started talking about it publicly with uh, researcher Stanton Friedman. And I remember very clearly at the time seeing that first little book about Roswell in the grocery store and, and picking it up and reading it and thinking, okay, guys, this is a bridge too far. Crash saucers, excuse me, little green men. You know, I was uh, not as evolved, I guess, as I as I feel like I might be now. But I didn't buy it. I just thought this this is too much. Now, over the course of the years, of course, we have now realized that there are many cases yeah. besides Roswell that people are talking about, and over time and distance there are. And I know, Ross, you have been speaking to many people about this and doing your own original research. And I would like you to bring us up to date on that. Rice, I have to admit, when I first saw the stories about Roswell and Aztec and Chihuahua and all of these other allegations of recovered alien spacecraft in the Californian or Nevada, Utah desert, wherever, it just seemed spurious to me. My instinct as a journalist is to go, oh, this is rubbish. And I know the White House has formally denied this. They've basically said it's not true. But the interesting thing is... I can't rule it out. And my, my, my slow turn and realization is that there's, there's something here that won't go away. There's too much smoking gun evidence. It's not probative. I don't believe that there's a beyond reasonable doubt criminal burden of proof or even a civil burden of proof to make me satisfied that it's real. But what I do believe is that there's a phenomenon there that deserves further investigation. What about you? Well, I've certainly come around on the Roswell issue. Over the years, I've done a lot of research on it. I've optioned a couple of books. I've spent many hours, many, many hours talking with Stanton Friedman and Don Schmidt about it, two of the top researchers on this. I'm convinced. Uh, but I did still feel like I was a little bit out uh, on the edge of that one. But it turns out I got some unique help this week. Lou Elizondo apparently has been on, uh, the man who's done the podcast circuit as much as anybody, has said this week, somebody asked him about Ro uh, Roswell, and he said he was 100% on Roswell. Now, he said that was that just- mean, no. well, well, 100% on what about Roswell? He was 100% that it was a crash a crash of, wow. uh, of an otherworldly craft. And uh, I believe Chris Mellon has intimated the same thing. And yeah, I guess the has. reason I believe uh, that crash wreckage may be a thing is that so many people are talking about it as if it is a thing, people who seem to know a lot. And I know that you get a lot of people because of your book being out and, and it being so well-researched and so well-received, you're probably getting a lot of people calling you who are talking sort of, off the record, what are they saying about these things? I think the, the most memorable conversation that I had was with one particular guy who went on the record, which was quite extraordinary. His name, as you know, was Nat Kobitz, former of Director of Science and Technology Development for the US Navy, Chief Geek for the US Navy. And he admitted to me, after a few months of chatting, that he was briefed in to a UFO retrieval program. He flatly asserted to me on the record, 
on audio, by the way, that he was told that the United States had recovered multiple craft, spacecraft. Absolutely extraordinary allegation. And the, the thing about it was, as a result of speaking to him, I was then put on to other people who confirmed their knowledge of a program, a program which is allegedly back engineering, dare I say it, alien ET technology that has been recovered by the US government. And I, I still wrestle with this because even though I've got this guy on the record, Bryce, there's a journalist in me that is innately skeptical and cynical because the president, no mm. less, Barack Obama in 2011, through his science advisor, went on the record and flatly denied categorically. So there's only one possibility. Well, the two possibilities. One is the president lied, which I have to admit I doubt. Or maybe the president was lied to. Maybe somebody's lied to US presidents. I'll take door number two on that one. I think that I think that presidents probably haven't gotten the whole story, particularly on this. Some maybe have and some maybe haven't, but um, we'll call it a day at, on, on, on this show. I just have one headline I want to throw out to people. I, guess, I don't know why, but I guess I've become a subject matter expert on the Betty and Barney Hill abduction case. And Discovery Plus has a, a, a two-hour documentary coming out on February 18th, which may actually be the day that this uh, podcast is uh, hitting the streets. So, uh, you know, people might want to check that out and, um, and uh, think about that as well. These are some esoteric parts to the piece of the puzzle, and hopefully we can find and put together the puzzle as our episodes continue. So, Bryce, we can never be 100% sure what to conclude until, for example, to run back to what we talked about at the very beginning, until we know exactly what the US Air Force knows. Because I think the secret here, if it goes back anywhere, it goes back to the US Air Force. And just to underline what we were talking about at the beginning of this podcast, the US Air Force is being obstructive. If it's true there's been crash retrievals, it's the U.S. Air Force that knows all about it. Well, maybe we'll be hauling some uh, generals and others into Congress and, and asking them about that. I can't wait if that is what happens. May not happen this year, maybe next year. But, um, you know, I think we're, we're on, the, on the road. So, listen, thanks to everybody for, for tuning in and being part of our little world here at Need to Know with Coltart and Zabel. Um, I'm happy that you were here. And, Ross, it's been great talking to you again. I, I will... Uh, I'll see you next time. You too, Bryce. Let's uh, let's keep on digging, my friend. See you next time.